Chapter 2 of Seven Autumn Leaves from Fairyland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Davis. Seven Autumn Leaves from Fairyland by E. Cunningham. Chapter 2 Little Hans. There lived on the borders of a Bohemian forest a little fellow named Hans. His father had been forester to the king, but was now dead, and his mother got a scant living collecting forest herbs. Hans, though ten years old, was so little from hard work and lack of food that he looked only six, and was called Little Hans. He was active and clever, and a great help to his mother, and he was the friend of everything and everybody, from the poor little field mouse up to his important neighbor Senzel, the wood carrier who owned a donkey and had a plastered house. Once when his mother was sick, he carried her herbs to the town of the district, under the care of Senzel, and when they had got through their business, and had left the town on their return, he saved from the gutter a poor cat that the town boys had left for dead. The unfortunate creature had been banged and drenched in stone till there was but an atom of life left. Affectionate little Hans carefully washed off the mud, bound up her broken leg, tended her wounds, and so nursed and cuddled her that he brought her round into useful condition again, and she soon cleared all the widow's hut of such few rats as harbored there. The poor women now began to have frequent attacks of illness, partly caused by exposure and gathering herbs, and partly by poor food, and they grew more and more in want as the days went on, and she was unable to make her usual collections. Little Hans made desperate efforts to fill his mother's place as provider, but without much result, so the day came when he had to take his much-loved pussy in his arms and bid her seek her own living in the woods. He carried her some way up the mountain that lay at their back, and telling her to be of good cheer, for that at any rate the woods were better than the town. He left her with tears, and returned home. The cat looked after him, mewing, but made no attempt to follow, being painfully conscious by two days' fast, how slim the living was with the poor little Hans. Hans now hired himself out to Senzel, and worked eagerly from dawn till twilight, but Senzel himself barely got food for his household and donkey, and what little he could give to Hans did not go far. One afternoon they were high on the side of the mountain, gathering and piling wood of a newly cleared lot. They kept on till dark, being anxious to finish, and would have worked longer, but Hans, looking up, saw bright lights through the trees, shining high up in the hollow of the mountain. What is that light? he called to Senzel. Then Senzel looked up, and when he saw the lights he dropped the sticks he had and said, Let us be gone! They hurried down the mountain in haste, nor stopped to get breath till they were far down and in their usual quarter. Then Hans asked the reason of their haste. Ah, oh, those were some goblin charcoal burners, said Senzel. It is well to keep out of sight of their fires. Little Hans went home full of curiosity, and when his mother heard that he had seen the goblin fires, she told him all that was known about them. They industrially collect small wood for burning, but it is said that when they char, instead of sticks of charcoal, there come from the fires sticks of silver, which they store away against time of want, that never comes. Why don't people go to help them, said Hans, and get some of their nice sticks? Ah, said his mother, so they have, but the bad side to it is they never come back. That was a damper to little Hans, whose mind was already on the silver sticks. The next day, when on the mountain, he looked eagerly up, but saw no signs of the goblins, and he was obliged to go home disappointed. Every day it grew worse and worse in his mother's hut, and it began to look like sheer starvation. Nothing can be worse than this for me, thought Hans, and as for my mother... I don't help her as it is, and I may help her a great deal if I go to see the goblins. So, having made her as comfortable as he could, and baked their last meal, and put the cake within her reach, he crept quietly out of the house and began to ascend the mountain. 
It was close on dusk, but still there was light enough to see the way, and Hans hastened that he might reach the cleared lot before it was quite dark. Just before getting there, he saw something small moving in the bushes by the path, and stopping to look, found it was a poor little hare, caught in a noose set to trap small game. She lay quite still and trembling while Hans loosed the string. You would do nicely for the pot, thought he, but he had never been able to kill, much less eat, any of the little wild creatures, long as he had lived in the woods, and hungry as he was, it was only a passing thought. The hare scampered off, and in a minute Hans stood in the clearing, looking for the lights. As the evening darkened, suddenly he saw them, springing into full brilliancy a dozen or more in a moment. With his heart in his mouth, but still quite resolute to try his luck with the goblins, Hans hastened toward the fires, stumbling over roots and sticks and scratched by thorns. They were a long way up, but at last he came close and saw in the open grove of the hollow the charring fires of the goblins, already covered with layers of leaves and sod, the smothered flames bursting ever and anon from the sides of the heaps. The goblins were little crooked fellows, not taller than Hans, black as soot with large hands and feet. One of them saw him, and as soon as he came near and cried, Ho, ho, here's another hand to help, and all looked at Hans and shouted, Ho, ho, and two or three ran forward to bring him in. The welcome was not particularly friendly, and as he just then bethought himself that perhaps their way of getting rid of volunteer helpers, when they had done with them, was to stuff them into a fire, he began to think that he had been rather hasty in coming. However, there was no help for it now, so when the goblins asked what he was there for, he said he was out of work, and seeing their fires had come to offer help. At that they laughed again, but set him to work gathering twigs and sticks, which he did with great industry, all the time thinking in his little head how he should get off without the scorching which he was pretty sure he saw before him. The goblins brought great piles of wood and of underbrush, stirred the fires, and hurried to and fro, every now and then making the rude jokes and laughing loudly as they passed him. When it was time to draw wood, Hans's curiosity nearly overcame his fears. Sure enough, the great rakes drew from the piles glowing sticks of pure silver, and so far Hans saw the tales were true. A thought flashed through his mind. These goblins love silver, that was plain, or they would not spend night after night working for it. Perhaps they would like gold more. Oh, silver, he said, why don't you make gold? Gold, they cried, clustering about him. Do you know how to make gold? For no creature is more stupid than a goblin. Of course, said Hans, it's as easy as to know my mother. But we don't know your mother, cried they. All the worse for you, said Hans, who began to feel quite easy as he saw his way through this difficulty. The goblins now threatened to put him in the fire if he did not show them how to make gold. All in good time, said Hans, there are several things to be got and we will do gold tomorrow night. Meantime, we had better house the silver, since there is nothing else. The goblins then treated him with some respect, and when they had got their make of silver together in great baskets, they led the way into the thickets. Hans expected them every instant to sink into the ground or disappear in some goblin way, and as he had two small sticks of silver neatly stuck inside of his shoe, he was perfectly satisfied to have them part company in that way when they chose. But there was no such luck for poor Hans. They came soon to an opening in the hillside, and to his alarm they all trooped in, with no chance of escape for him, seeing that he was in the center. They descended for some time, passing many turnings, and finally entered a great hall, lighted dimly by a glowing ball of fire in the center, which burned without blaze. Here, Hans could see, there were endless heaps of silver charcoal, and it was evidently their great storehouse. The goblins now considered what they should do with him for the night, and finally settled to leave him there with a shell of water and some roots to chew. This suited Hans, who did not feel comfortable in their company. As soon as he was alone, he examined their entrance, but found it closed by a great stone, too heavy to move. The hall was of immense size, and to range about it without a guide was to lose himself, without much chance of getting anywhere. 
so after a few attempts he sat down on a heap of silver to think over his chances by next night his brag would come to naught and he hardly saw himself in imagination pitching head foremost into a glowing bed of coals when he felt a soft rub against his leg he looked down in surprise and there was a living cat and as he looked closer of all the cats in the world his cat his delight for a moment made him forget his danger he caught her up and caressed her while the puss was as much pleased as he but in a moment or two wise pussy who had come to help and not for caresses leaped down looked up to him to follow and led the way confidently towards the gloomy recesses of the hall hans soon had to grope to keep the path which lay among the heaps of silver sticks but by and by reaching the wall of the chamber entered a narrow crevice along which he passed without difficulty as he felt the rock on each side an occasional mew from puss showed she still led the way and very encouraging these mews were for poor hans by and by the rock lowered and hans had to go on hands and knees but confident in his guide he did not lose heart he was rewarded at last by feeling the fresh air of night blowing in his face and in a moment they issued from a small hole in the hillside into the starlight close by was a little hut towards which puss went without halting hans following puss crept under a hole in the door and hans pushing found himself inside a little smithy and before him sitting on his anvil smoking a pipe was the smith a little grimy man but evidently not a goblin he was as much surprised at seeing hans as hans was to see him and nearly choked himself with smoke in his astonishment as soon as he could speak he asked him who he was and how he came there to which hans answered he was a boy and he had come to serve the goblins and who are you said hans oh i'm their smith said he looking at hans curiously added so you are right with them it was rather embarrassing for he wasn't all right with them by any means and being their smith the grimy man might take the goblin view of the case and turn him back hans hesitated but his need for a friend was great it was a man he had to deal with and moreover puss had led him there so he answered no i'm running away and want your help why don't you run too tell me all about it said the smith and i will tell my story in turn greatly encouraged hans told his story the little man resuming his seat on the anvil smoking steadily well done said he when the story was over that was a lucky thought and saved you from the coals now for my story i was a smith's workman down in the town below with small wages and hard work and had to sleep in the cinders in the smithy one night as i sat looking at the red coals on the forge a goblin came out and asked me to be their smith what conditions said i plenty to eat and drink said he and a house to yourself for how long for good said he i can't live underground said i house above said he so then seeing that i had never had enough to eat and drink and wanted to see how it felt and besides thinking that if i had ever had a house outside i could get off when i chose i agreed and came but i made one mistake it was as easy to come but not so easy to go as you will find there are snares and traps and one can't go and though i have had plenty to eat and drink i am tired of the goblins and want to go one cold night the cat crept in here and has been a good friend she knows more than we do and your only chance is to follow her lead but where is she true enough on looking round there was no puss to be seen but while they were wondering she crept in under the door rubbed herself against hans's leg and went out again better follow said the smith and if you get off remember me hans followed and when he got out saw by the starlight that puss had strange company no less than the timid little hare hans had set free of the snare the hare evidently had instructions and set off closely followed by hans who was led through many a close and winding path until at last he saw openings occasionally through the thickets but just as they reached the clearer ground a distant noise frightened the foolish hare and he started at a run obliging hans to follow in such a hurry that he stumbled into a snare and in a moment was fast by the leg the hare was off and hans lay forlorn enough quite unable to get free and only hoping he might be overlooked until the chance befriended him 
Just before dawn, the goblin watchman went his rounds to see what was all right, and soon came upon the path where poor Hans lay. Hans saw him first, and his good wits helping him, called out, Here! Help! Help! The watchman came running. Take me out, fool! What does this mean? said the audacious Hans. The watchman, being a goblin, of course, was a fool and took him out, but had sense enough to ask what his honor was doing there. Before Hans could answer, there was a great buzzing in the mountain, and out rushed all the goblins in wild alarm at the escape of their goldmaker. When they saw him there, they were for pouncing on him, but Hans, who had now learned the way, shouted, Hands off! Hands off! And they held aloof while he added, Why didn't some of you come when I called to go out? What did you want to go out for? returned they, their suspicions rising again. For Hellebore, of course, said Hans. How can you make gold without Hellebore? And there I was, left alone, and no one within hearing, and crooked way to find, and this rascally trap at the end. Is this the way you help your workers? Oh, it was quite a mistake, cried the goblins, now fully taken in by such a long word as Hellebore. We will help you find it. Let's go at once. Too late, said Hans. It can only be done under the star Aldebaran. We must wait now till next night. So they returned to the underground passage sorrowfully. Hans, because of his renewed imprisonment, the goblins, because the making of gold must be put off. They were troubled, too, at his escape, and whispered among themselves, wondering how he managed the big stone. Perhaps he isn't a man at all, said one. Better put him in the strong room. So instead of the silver storehouse, they led Hans this time to their strong room, where they kept their precious stones, of which they now and then dug a few, when the weather was too stormy for charcoal work. Their respect increased for this little man that seemed to have at his tongue's end such long words, and who moved, with ease, stones that weighed a ton. They made the door of the strong room very fast, to be sure, but they left him a good light and some wine in a flask and plenty of fine white bread and cheese. Hans looked sorrowfully about when they had gone. It was a small place, and seemed absolutely solid. The walls were so smooth and hard. As far as he could see, it was cut out of rock without a flaw, and the door this time was of stone, sliding in a groove and securely fastened. Diamonds, rubies, and emeralds glittered in heaps. But of what use were they to poor Hans, who would soon be at his wit's end for excuses for not making gold? He picked up some in an absent way, and filled his pockets, and then fell to at the wine and bread and cheese, for his troubles did not prevent his being hungry. It was now day in the outer world, and the goblins, having nothing else to do, and being uneasy about this uncanny prisoner of theirs, determined to hold a great council, and consider how they would dispose of him. So they sent through the mountains, and by afternoon had all the goblins assembled in their council room to discuss this important question. It took them a long while, for they wanted to do the fair thing both by him and for themselves. At last they concluded that they would go with him to collect the hellebore, to see where it was found, then see the process of charring gold, and when the whole thing was plain and a good store of gold raked up, pop Hans into one of the pits and burn him up and so cheerily wind up the business. This pleased them all so much that they took the rest of the afternoon to compliment each other on being so clever. Meantime, our good puss was not idle. She knew where Hans was and the hopelessness of getting him out except through the door. She watched till the goblins were all at council, and the council door closed. Then she hastened to the smithy, and jumping up on the bench, picked up a file in her mouth and approached the smith. Ah, business, he said, I understand, received the file, and obediently followed his sagacious friend. She led the way along the passages till they reached the door of the strong room, which door, as already mentioned, ran in a groove, but being set on an incline, the moment it was unfastened it slid back by its own weight. It was a clever device of the goblins, who used to say with just pride, when you want to open the door, there you are, you see. They didn't say anything about shutting it. In fact, it took so many of them to do it, and so used them up in the doing, that there was no breath left to make a remark. The smithy easily filed off the staple that held the hasp, and the door slid back. Puss looked in, and Hans was not slow to take leave of his lodgings. 
They walked quickly along the empty gallery, reached the great storeroom where the smith filled his leather apron with silver sticks, and then along the narrow passage to the smithy. We must run for it this time, said the smith, and locking the door behind him, he followed the cat and Hans. It was just coming on night, and they walked carefully, fearing the snares. There would have been no chance of escape but for the vanity of the goblins, who were wasting time complimenting each other in the council room while their prisoners were running away. Even the watchmen were there. They had now reached the bounds of the goblin ground. The cat looked back at her two followers, mewed, and gave a great bound as if to cross an unseen chasm. But as she came to the ground again, they heard a loud ring, as of bells in the mountains. The smith and Hans, in great haste, jumped too, but came down a long way short of the cat, and now the clang of bells in the hill was deafening. In fact, they had trod on the charmed circle, which surrounded the goblin quarters, which was silent when mortals came, but gave voice in this clamorous way when they went. Almost instantly the alarmed goblins came swarming out and gave chase. The three fugitives ran at their best speed through bush and briar down the hill, but the goblins were so close behind they would probably have been caught, but for an unexpected succor. Senzel, missing Hans, had gone to the old woman's hut to inquire about him. He found he had been gone since the evening of the day before, and his mother was greatly distressed. "'He has been asking about the goblins,' said she, "'and I fear he has gone to see them.' Senzel felt too anxious to return home, so leading his donkey, he went up to the mountains, hoping to find some trace of him. He had reached the cleared lot, and was hesitating about going further when he suddenly heard a great noise of running and shouting, and then saw Hans and the smith tumbling along down the hillside, evidently in full flight. The donkey heard the noise too, and perhaps thinking it might be friends, gave a resounding bray. That fortunate bray saved our friends. The goblin stopped. There come his brothers, cried they, and thinking their strength of body would equal their strength of voice, they all turned and scampered up as fast as they had come down. Hans and Senzel and the smith were now relieved of their property, and they and the good old woman lived comfortably ever after. They thought it prudent, though, to move down into the town. As for the goblins, they never ceased to wonder over the strength of the little goldmaker, who could move a rock that weighed a ton, and who broke the staple of the sliding door. They spent so much time looking for Hellebore and trying to single out Alderbaran that they made much less silver than formerly, and as for the jewels Hans took, and the silver in the smith's apron, they never so much as knew that they had gone. The cat lived with Hans until she and he moved to a better world, and her descendants increased and multiplied until they were all over the country and can be found anywhere if you will only cultivate their friendship. Would my pussycat do? asked little Hester. Perhaps, if she knew. Then send her off to learn, do, said little Wisehead, for I might meet the charcoal burners. End of chapter 2 Recording by Ben Davis